between the three of us, we can make a speech or two. But at any rate, it, 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 I just thought the more casual it is, the more agreeable it would be, I think, for all of us. So we're open to your questions. Yes, sir. Well, we were hoping to have a press conference about that in late December or early January because what we're here for today really is to talk about the Penn celebration, uh, which is, in our mind, is a preparation for the Congress. It, the, we've made a large push, given our small resources, for this uh, celebration and for the Congress even more uh, on the notion that there has been something, I would say, sad occurring in American life with more, excuse me, with more and more force and impact over the last 20 years. And that is that literature is becoming more and more a tangential activity to the center of American life. It seemed to us that uh, the Penn Celebration and the Penn Congress might be a way to bring back uh, attention to a, a few things that uh, many Americans have forgotten. And one of them is that literature is part of the marrow of a good life, an interesting life, uh, a vital life, uh, a startling life. Uh, I think we've all forgotten the uh, simple visceral pleasure that we used to have as children when we'd read books. I know I find with my own children that it's uh, disheartening in the extreme to try to pull them away from the television set. Uh, you finally become tired of being that authority who always turns off the box. It, it, in small, that experience of mine, I'd say, uh, has been repeated by most of us in various fashion. And it's our hope that since people do pay enormous attention to the newspapers, that uh, the, the attention that the celebration and, and the Congress will bring to literature may inspire a few more people to read a few more good books. And it's the notion behind all notions in this, that will be for the ultimate good. Uh, we're writers, so naturally we believe in our, uh, our, our métier. Yes, sir. Not head-on. There have been any number of, uh, I think that's more a uh, problem for educators. What we want to avoid, both in the celebration and in the Congress, is some more of the cut and dried. Uh, I mean, there are, there must be 50 to 100 august seminars and symposiums a year on the falling rate of literacy in America, the, the effect of falling rate of literacy. I think that takes care of itself. People are aware of it. What they're not aware of, perhaps, is that, uh, uh, that literature is not only a duty, but it's a vital experience. And I think that a lot of these symposiums end up having, unhappily, a reverse effect, which is people walk around with, uh, Americans walk around with that sense, oh yes, that's one more thing I should be doing that I'm not doing, reading. That doesn't bring them closer to reading. 
I, I think that uh, there's a possibility, I, I don't say it's a large possibility, but there is a possibility that the combination of the celebration and the Congress uh, will produce a little more real interest. And by real interest, I mean the people who have that curiosity that leads them, people who've never bought a pocketbook before of any merit, to say, well, yeah, I remember one of those writers was in the Congress uh, and pick up such a book. It's possible that a few foreign writers who at present are completely barred uh, effectively from um, paperback racks will begin to appear there as people become aware of them. The great difference between the celebration of the Congress is the celebration, of course, will be a series of readings by American authors. The Congress will have its emphasis upon foreign authors. There are going to be a great many exceptionally talented foreign writers coming to this country whom no one's ever heard of before. In fact, many of their names will be unpronounceable. But they, will, uh, they are people of exceptional <coughs> talent. And it, this may be a way of introducing them to American audiences. I'm sorry? We're going to make every effort to uh, have uh, Mr. Marcus invited here. Every effort. It's very important to us. Yes, sir. When, it, when we decided at Penn to, well, let me, let me go back to the beginning, because it, it, it really, I think it all um, grew organically out of the uh, original premise. When we first decided at Penn to have a Penn, to accept the Penn Congress, that is International Penn invited us to have a Congress here in New York, that meant that we had to make an enormous, given, as I say, our small resources, an enormous fundraising effort proportionate to what we our normal budget was. In other words, we'd have to raise something like twice our annual budget to have the Congress. So we looked for ways to uh, raise that, th those sums. And we came to the general conclusion that probably the best way to do it was to have a, a, a series of exciting readings. At that point, I asked Mr. Steyer and Mr. Vonnegut to join me. We formed a committee of three to try to pick who uh, the writers would be. Now, I will confess that it did occur to me from the beginning that I might be one of those 16 or 20 writers. And when I asked uh, these gentlemen, it was because I was certain that they would also be on such a committee. We then met and we debated on, uh, rather amicably, on, on who should be on the list. And we ended up with these 16 writers. It was agreed by us that there'd be no attempt to, um, to claim that these are the 16 best writers in America. Our only, um, our measure was who are the 16 writers we can get, the best 16 writers who will interest an audience of New Yorkers who will have $1,000 to pay for a subscription. That meant it was a rare group. It was not the typical New York book buyer. There are a great many authors 
who would have been, who, who the average, the typical New York book buyer might rather see here than the 16 we chose. We chose these 16 for a combination in varying degree of merit and interest, interest to such a public. And that's the only claim we make for it. We don't say they're the 16 best writers in America. We say there that certainly 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 of them are among the best writers in America. And that they're all, um, and that they will all, we hope, uh, well, in fact, we know they've been of appeal to uh, the audience we were looking to interest to buy these subscriptions because we've sold out. Yeah, yeah, we have, uh, at this point, we wish we had a larger theater. About the theater, I would like to say that the Schubert organization gave us this theater. Uh, most generous and uh, what's expensive about opening the booth on Sunday night for the unions who are unable to, to waive their own, their own rules as they are contractually unable to. So it'll be still quite an expensive evening, but the Schubert organization instantly responded to sure, take it there. Mr. Volley, was, uh, the man who was uh, most responsible for getting us the Booth Theater on those fine terms. Mr. Vonnegut and Marion Chavis, wasn't yes. she your, your cohort? Yes. No, um, it wasn't accidental. We started with the idea that we would try to pair people who would be reasonably interesting together, although we didn't pretend to be um, uh, crack Broadway producers. You know, in other words, I don't think any of us have that extraordinary sense of who would fit with whom. I think that's a special show business sense that we don't necessarily have. However, there are specific histories to some of the pairings. Uh, in the, uh, in the beginning, the idea we had was that each writer would appear for an hour, and they could do whatever they wished. This is still true. They can read from their work. They can invite a guest if they wish, a surprise guest, or, the, or, or a well-advertised guest. They can uh, put a phone on the stage and call their best friend or their oldest friend. We don't care what they do. We assume that given the instinctive competitiveness of good writers, uh, they will do something reasonably interesting. And, and also, no one would presume to tell any of these 16 what to do. Uh, they would not be about to listen. And in the case of um, Buckley and Irving, John Irving said, I would like to appear with William Buckley, and I said, fine. And we asked Buckley, he said, fine. And so that pairing, I think you may well be right, sir, that uh, it could be on, they could speak on the abortion, anti-abortion issue, but I have no idea if it's going to be a debate or not. They will arrange that between themselves. With Vidal and myself, uh, that pairing came out in the following fashion. I wrote to Vidal and said, look, feuds are feuds, but I think they're more important things. Won't you join our celebration? And he wrote back and he said, yes, I will. 
And I said, all right, who would you like to be on with? And his reply came back, you. <laughs> so we're going to each read for half an hour, and then we're going to debate for an hour. That will be a debate. Now, what kind of debate will be, I have no idea. Uh, I'll have a much better idea two or three days before, I think, because Vidal generously has offered to show me his opening remarks. He's going to lead off in the debate. Yes. Well, the Booth Theater holds 774 seats. And we've sold a little more than that because um, a few people gave us very large contributions. Uh, Milton Petrie, uh, are we free to give these names? Yeah, Milton Petrie and uh, 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 Donald Trump and Getty. I can give you a list of our uh, benefactors if you'd like. Uh, Brooke Astor, Annette Reed. Uh, we're going to have a complete list. I don't want to leave anyone out. Do we have enough copies to circulate? Or? Uh, but in any event, some people had gave very large contributions, and that meant that they would not necessarily need. For example, one person gave, uh, I'm not saying whom, gave $50,000. So that meant that they would have 50 seats for each of eight evenings. That's 400 tickets. That means that one will virtually have to hire a secretary for that one part of one's social life. Who, who does want to find? So they gave us back, let's say, 25 or 30 of those subscriptions to resell. So we sold more than the 774. Right now, how much is it, going to, is it budgeted for? Yeah. It's budgeted for uh, $715,000. The excess money is going to go to uh, Penn next year because our, our needs continue. We're, uh, like all um, nonprofit organizations, our financial needs are continuous, chronic, and uh, pressing. Yes, sir? When are we? Well, I think I'll turn you over to Corin Kennerly, who can tell you a lot about what we're doing to get the foreign writers over here. Yeah, do you want to take my uh, mic? Uh, Corin, excuse me. Corin Kennerly, spelled K-A-R-E-N, is our executive uh, secretary, executive when, director. When you say uh, to get the foreign writers over, you meant the ones who <laughs> might have McCarran-Walter problems, or did you mean uh, all of them? Well, the first, the first problem is, of course, willingness. And we've had extremely good luck that way. We have over 50 guests of honor coming, which is triple, quadruple the number that any Congress has had in the past. And they're coming from all over the world. I mean, many from Latin America, from Egypt, uh, from uh, Sweden, the European, Western European countries, of course, uh, Hungary. Uh, we are willing to, um, we are, such, such lists are available. It is not complete, however. Uh, we have over 50. We expect to end up with about 60. And um, it depends. I mean, uh, um, as far as we know, the ones who have that excludability status are Kobo Abe of Japan, 
Jorge Amado of Brazil, Ernesto Sabato of Argentina, Gabriel Garcia Marquez of Colombia. Um, the, those are the ones that we are absolutely sure of. The problem with the McCarran-Walter is that often a writer or a person doesn't know he has this status until he has trouble getting a visa. To put it even more starkly, if a foreigner wants to come for a month and is granted a month's visa, he may have the, the numbers under his passport that we can recognize as being excludable. And what he in fact got was a waiver. He may not even know this process went on. So it's, 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 it's a little bit difficult to find out. And of course, such information is not automatically released by state. I know some of them, but there may be others whom I don't know. And then also we have delegates, that is, members of Penn Centers who come as part of the Penn Congress. The 50, over 50 guests of honor we were speaking of are just the guests of honor. Uh, there will be about another 200 foreign writers here as members of various Penn Centers. And until they start applying in mid-October, we won't know who or who, who has a problem. Yes, we are. Uh, we are in contact with the State Department, uh, who, which has agreed on a case-by-case -case basis to help us expedite. Basic, basic thing is to... Uh, is it on? Uh, uh, the pen has uh, actively participated in an, an attempt to make Congress uh, repeal the McCarran-Walter legislation. Uh, this administration seems adamant in doing very little of a, of a constructive nature to, to alter the basic uh, exclusionary aspects of the McCarran-Walter Act. So long as the act exists on the books, you will have a nation like the United States, the most powerful nation in the world, uh, look idiotic in the eyes of people as distinguished uh, as not only the ones we've mentioned, but Graham Greene, for example, who to my mind quite properly and rightly refuses to come to the United States because he feels that it's a humiliation that he be restricted for any reason. Uh, throwing the ball in the other court, asking uh, any American how they would feel if uh, they were excluded from uh, Great Britain just because they have a certain political uh, coloration or leaning. So Penn has been uh, quite active in trying to get to the root of this uh, whole uh, exclusionary aspect of the McCarran-Walter Act, but until uh, the major surgery is done, uh, we will have to be resort to uh, things as we are doing now, uh, waivers, a temporary, uh, uh, a temporary uh, remedies not the, not the major course. Oh. 
Well, I, I would just add that uh, the problem, is, as, as we see it, is in the McCarran-Walter Act. Uh, we've had talks with people at the State Department who've been most intelligent and sophisticated about the nature of the problem. They really would like to have these riders get in with the minimum of difficulty. It is the McCarran-Walter Act that eventually, in our opinion, must be repealed because it creates all sorts of prodigious embarrassments for America vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. presidency, our annual budget was about uh, $325,000, and we've had a raise $715,000 for the Congress. No, so just about three-quarters of a million. And this, you know, we'll probably have to go over a bit. It probably will be three-quarters of a million before we're done. There are always those expenses you're not anticipating. Just, just for the Congress, yeah. One of the problems with a capitalistic country for a Penn Center is that when we give a Congress, we must, of course, raise the money dollar, dollar by dollar. Uh, even the Scandinavian countries get larger, you know, subventions from governments, and so it's easier to put it on. That's 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 really the only reason I would say. Well, well in Japan, it was uh, corporately funded, wasn't it? In other words, I think a few corporate. This is my impression, but. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not sure how, frankly. I never saw Well, then we better leave it. Yeah. I'm just assuming that it was corporately funded in Japan. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I know that one of the contributors in Japan, I was in Japan, but not as a representative of Penn, but independently. I was a guest of the Japanese Broadcasting Corporation. I happen to know that they were one of the large, they funded, helped fund the very little in this case. I, I'm sorry. What are the roots? Oh, I think, let's leave it for the night if it comes up. Uh, I'm not interested in, uh, I think there are more important things in the world than uh, the feud between Gorbidal and myself. And uh, so I'm not interested in dramatizing that feud. If it if in the course of the debate uh, it gets out of hand, it will, but it probably won't. It, I hope it won't. It may. I don't know. It's an existential experience at the least, let us say, for both of us. That's our definite impression, yes. We hope so, but they have stated case by case. We're not getting blankets for any particular part of them. 
um, they are ready to go. It's now up to the riders to apply. They're, they're prepared to help us now. They have the list of people, yes. can name uh, a deceased writer, a very great writer, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, consistently said that he would not come to the United States for that period. And no, no, I'm not talking about, I'm talking in, but uh, Graham Greene, so far as I know, and I, I think it's accurate to say, has, as a matter of principle and pride, uh, refused to come to the United States, and I thoroughly sympathize with him because all, all one has to do is to put oneself in, this, in the same position vis-a-vis -a -vis another nation. How would you feel if you, you held certain political views and the Republic of France denied you entry? You'd feel awfully sore. I think some of these writers have been very patient, really, with the United States, uh, given, given our attitude. Uh, there are others, I, they don't come to mind immediately, So far, we've had um, not a single response along the lines of, I don't want to come to the Congress because I don't you know, approve of this or that aspect of the administration in Washington. that uh, American literature was to him his, he teethed himself on our great writers, on, on Hemingway, on Fitzgerald, especially Faulkner, whom he worships. Uh, Faulkner, he's, he's written and said, is the writer who has formed his whole consciousness He's written uh, lots and lots of essays about American literature. 
what you get here, then, is the irony of a, of a man who's passionately devoted uh, to American literature. Therefore, one suspects the principles that are embedded in our literature, spiritual principles, who is denied entry into the United States because he is presumably subversive. Uh, this is a colossal irony, and one that I think does in, uh, almost deliberately tend to humiliate uh, people like Darcy Martin. There are many other examples, but he's one of the most striking. Well, he would be another example. does not come too often, no. This is a, uh, he happened to be passing through, he wanted to, I think he, his publisher asked him if he would um, sign some books uh, at a special gathering, and, and uh, that was one of the reasons I think he was granted away. Uh, but he does not come here because it's too much trouble, it's too much uh, uh, anguish for him much of a wrench, and his visits here are therefore quite rare. Uh, another example I might add would be Carlos Fuentes, who of course now is, is well established in the United States. He's the, he teaches at Harvard, but it's it's been a long, hard process. Once in, when he was traveling by by ship ship put into Puerto Rico, and he was about to get off and go ashore for several days, and he was not allowed, this was about 12 years ago, he was not allowed because uh, the dossier that the immigration people down there had was that he was a, uh, a, a subversive um, um, member <coughs> of a subversive organization, which is preposterous. As anyone here, I'm sure all of you have, have, have read Fuentes' remarkable essays on uh, the relationship between the United States and, and Latin America, uh, he's, he's the best uh, intermediary that we have, it seems to me, between the consciousnesses of Latin America and, and North America. He has, as I say, been allowed in, but only grudging. see. I, 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 hope, I hope it would be at least once every seven to ten years. It's not just that uh, our willingness and ability to have a Congress, it does, it should, you know, move around the world. The, the, the more countries, the greater variety of the countries that ten Congresses are held in, obviously, the better and healthier. 
like, like the Olympics, it really shouldn't take place in one country over and over. No, <laughs> no, not at all, um, because writers from countries whom you would think would have problems, like from the GDR or Poland or Hungary, uh, as far as we know, at least the ones who are coming have never had problems. Uh, there's truly no way of knowing. Uh, also, the, uh, how can I put it, the, the, status, it seems, from the, some of the cases we know, can be dormant for several years and then come up again. And so it's, it's really impossible to, to say. I hope there'll be no more than the four we've mentioned. I think this is beyond, I think you've got to go down to Washington to <laughs> get that information. We don't know and it's sort of beyond the scope of this meeting this morning. I just want to add, excuse me, I want to add a footnote to the Garcia Marcus story. My wife talked to him last night uh, more attentively than I did uh, about this particular matter, said that uh, for 20 years, Garcia Marquez has been denied, uh, refused a visa, uh, but or whenever he came into the country, it was on a very specially limited one. This time, he decided to test it uh, and, and found that although uh, almost everyone else, when they get a, a waiver, get a 30-day waiver, he, Garcia Marquez, was given only the four-day waiver that I just mentioned and was allowed only to visit New York City only for these days, very much as uh, like the Russians uh, restrict uh, certain journalists to an area like Moscow. Uh, well, he decided to find out if he could, I think, get a 30-day a, a uh, uh, waiver, uh, which is customary, discovered that he could not get a 30-day waiver, but would indeed get a four-day waiver. <laughs> you mean during the week of the Congress? Oh yes, of course. I mean, cared for, each one is being met at the airport and such care will continue until they depart. In the yes, yes. And the people who don't speak uh, French or English, the two languages of international pen, uh, luckily there aren't too many of them. We're, we're getting sort of round-the-clock person, one-on-one one -on -one translators for them. Like Kobo Abe will have, if he wants it, somebody by his side morning to night. Uh, they're all going to be housed at the Savaritz Hotel. 
and the headquarters for the Congress will be at the Center. Well, I, I really can't speak with authority on it. In the talks we've had with them, they've been most reasonable. Yes. The attitude on both sides is that we would prefer to avoid this sort of trouble because we have important things we want to talk about at the Congress. And if one or two truly distinguished writers, or for that matter writers who are even less well known, are not admitted, it's likely to become a sideshow that could take over the Congress. That's really the last thing we want. It's the last thing the State Department wants. So I, I look forward to uh, some, you know, cooperation back and forth, hopefully. Now, uh, that does not mean that we're in love with the McCarran Water Act or that we intend as an organization to uh, live with it forever. We're going to do our best to, in years to come to have that act repealed. We have the specific problem of the Congress facing us right now, and for that reason, uh, we do want to have as many writers here as we can have, because we think it's more important, finally, that they say what they can say rather than that they say what they can say with a shiny brand new American visa. I think it's interesting that since we, we have been on the subject, though it's slightly ancillary, again, the McCarran-Walter Act, uh, it's interesting, I think, to remember that it's, it's the one of the ways we do resemble the Soviet Union in that um, there are no free countries uh, in the industrialized world, uh, the possible exception of South Africa, that has any such uh, legislation on its books which prevent the free travel of foreigners into uh, it, uh, within the borders of the country. It's a rather amazing and, and, and monolithic totalitarian uh, piece of legislation. Some of these people are, are likely to have a little trouble back home, too. Uh, well, they may not be that highly regarded uh, by their own governments, and uh, Penn sent a 
little committee to look into how writers were doing in Poland and East Germany and Czechoslovakia, and there was an uneasiness there on the part of writers who we would like to have over here that they might get out, but they not, might not be allowed back in. Is, uh, uh, there is that threat now. One of the things that Penn stands for, <coughs> and has, has stood for from the beginning since it was founded in 1922 by John Goldsworthy, was the notion, the idea that uh, writers have natural, communal, uh, worldwide interests, fraternal interests. It's in a very it's one of the larger international fraternal organizations. If a writer cannot have the freedom to say what he wishes to say in any country in the world, part of the, part of the ideal of Penn is that we'll be there to help in the best way we can. Sometimes these ways are not enormously effective. Sometimes they surprise us because they are effective. One of the interesting uh, aspects of it is when I first came in, I noticed that one of the first jobs I had was to sign letters. And very often we'd be addressing some uh, petty tyrant in some tiny country who would put a, uh, uh, a writer in jail. And we were trying to get the writer out of jail. Once in a while, the letters, because don't forget, we'd only send them from America, but they're sent from all over the many, many, uh, the, the, the uh, 55 countries and 80 chapters of Penn all over the world. Once in a while, this tyrant happens to be an educated man. Let's say um, he or she went to Oxford or Cambridge or whatever. And they're most impressed when these writers come in from various countries asking for the freedom of the writer. So occasionally, we do get someone out of jail, actually. Uh, but the, the point I'd underline is that we are critical of all governments anywhere and everywhere that attempt to limit the freedom of writers. You could say we're a worldwide civil rights organization for writers. And no pen chapter in the world can remain in pen and be uh, an instrument of its government. Uh, Poland, uh, Poland's pen chapter now, which was set up by the government, the original chapter was dissolved and then the government reconstituted it as its own creature is we do not recognize that as a chapter of Penn. And there are other countries in the past who have uh, lost their accreditation because they have been or reorganized by the governments. But the Warsaw Pact countries with uh, Hungary and uh, Bulgaria and what the Czechoslovakian chapter is dead. The Polish chapter is dead, but these guests of honor that we're inviting, uh, probably most of them aren't members of Penn. Is that so? Is there any, is any it, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether they're members of Penn or not. But the delegations can come only from uh, Penn chapters that were been recognized.
No, we were over there about four months ago and, and spoke, met with a lot of them and said we certainly hope you will come. And uh, they said we would like to come. Uh, what was on their minds there was that the, uh, the government's way of dealing with them now was to let them out and not let them come back in. I think they've only done that in a couple of cases. How many times have, how many times have they not let a person come home again, Rose? How many times has a Warsaw Pact country prevented a, a, a writer from coming home after they've given him a visa? It happened once in Poland, right? Yeah. And they, yeah. And another thing is, they don't want out. They want to write for their own people. The East Germans want to write for the East Germans. The Poles want to write for the Poles. The Czechs want to write for the Czechs. So they don't all want to come over to America and write for the Book of the Month Club. I think it's I want to say that we've been extremely careful in issuing our invitations not to send letters to people who might get in trouble just because they receive this letter. So um, in, in those countries that Kurt is referring to, we have been very discreet about issuing our invitations and, and orally, not in writing, until we know it's safe for them to do so. The Soviet Union does not have pen chapters, uh, but they uh, are certainly welcome to send observers and frequently do. Well, last time I saw them do it was in Stockholm. 